John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind listener mail. My name is Robert Lamb. And my name is Joe McCormick, and it's Monday, the day of each week that we read back messages from the Stuff to Blow Your Mind mailbag. If you've never gotten in touch with us before, why not give it a shot? You can reach us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Any kind of messages or fair game, uh, feedback to recent episodes, questions, corrections, suggestions for new topics, uh, just want to share something you think we would find interesting, all uh, all that's good. Send it on in. Now, we do have an announcement at the top of today's episode, which is that this is going to be an all-new listener mail episode, uh, but Rob and I are going to be out for several days this week, so we will be running some vault episodes. So I believe Tuesday and Thursday's core episodes are going to be from the vault, and Friday is going to be a Weird House Cinema Rewind. That's right. Uh, We picked out a fun one for that. And then on Wednesday, we're going to do another Monster Fact Omnibus where we have multiple uh, Monster Fact episodes compiled into a single listening experience. These are all going to be vampire-related. Ooh, very nice. Uh, but so, yes, it'll be Vault episodes the rest of this week, and then next week we will be back with you again. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump into it. We heard it back from uh, several different people regarding our episodes on The Remarkable Beaver. All right. Uh, I'm going to read this first message from Jacob, and then there's a very short one after that, so I might do that one too. But um, So this is Jacob writing in about uh, castorium. Uh, this is something we talked about in the context of beavers. Castorium is an oily substance harvested from the glands of beavers that has been used by humans for thousands of years, actually, for all kinds of purposes, ranging from cosmetics to medicine to treating tools and weapons to food. And Jacob got in touch with one of the food-related uses. So Jacob says, Hi, long-time listener, first-time emailer. I just finished listening to parts one and two of the Remarkable Beaver series and thought I knew exactly what you were going to talk about when you mentioned castorium and food, but I was wrong. Have you ever had Blue Moon Ice Cream? Jacob provides a link. 
Maybe you've had Superman ice cream. The blue part of Superman ice cream is traditionally blue moon. It's popular in the upper Midwest of the U.S. and has a flavor profile that is difficult for most to discern. Some speculate that this Blue Moon ice cream's flavor was originally derived using castorium. I'd encourage you to give it a try if you ever come across it. I quite enjoy it. Thanks for entertaining and educating me all these years, Jacob. Okay, I don't think I've had Blue Moon ice cream or Superman ice cream. Superman appears to be like a three-flavor ice cream, and it's like Superman's suit colors, so it's got like blue and yellow and red. Uh, I don't know what the yellow and red flavors are. Maybe they're also derived from mammal glands. But uh, Bl- Blue Moon, I have never had at all, but I like the idea. I assume from what you're saying that castorium is probably not used anymore to flavor it, but that maybe whatever flavors it now is attempting to recreate an original flavor which did come from beavers this would track with uh, what we were discussing in that episode with castorium being used more frequently like early 20th century and so forth and then uh, there's just not as much call for it i'm noticing uh, so i've never had this blue moon ice cream i've never had superman ice cream i just haven't spent i don't i don't know that i visited any of the states where it is uh, popular but just looking at the the wiki on Superman ice cream, I see that the different uh, colors in some of the common brands of Superman ice cream, the flavor is just vanilla across the board. Oh, for for all the colors, and of course that 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 tracks with what is sometimes described as the flavor profile of Castorium and the way Castorium was used as a as an artificial flavor, or I guess it's a natural flavor, but it's just maybe not what you might expect. Now, is Blue Moon ice cream one of those things where there are like seven different places that claim to have the original Blue Moon and all the others are copycats? Hmm. I don't know. Good question. Uh, maybe our, our, our Blue Moon ice cream specialists out there can, can chime in. Well, Jacob, you definitely raised my curiosity. I would like to try this now. I don't know. How do you get your hands on it if you're not in the Midwest? Can you order ice cream by mail? I don't know if they do that. <laughs> I mean, probably. Uh, I'm not sure if the if it works out cost uh, wise, <laughs> but uh, but I bet you can do it. All right, I'm gonna also do this short message from Jan next, but uh, quick context for this next email. We were talking in the Beavers episode about the well-known fact in medieval bestiaries that when a male beaver is being pursued by hunters, it will uh, bite off its own testicles because it knows that this is what the hunter wants, and it's just sort of like. Okay, you can have them. Don't kill me. Uh, This is not true. In multiple ways, this is not true. Beavers don't actually do this. Plus, the glands that hunters were harvesting from beavers uh, for the oily substance known as castorium were not actually testicles. So this is just medieval bro science. It's like quadruple wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. But we discussed uh, several real facts about beavers that might have led to this false belief. And we also discussed the general biological adaptation known as autotomy, which is not uh, especially observed in beavers in in the real world, uh, but it's more often observed in animals like lizards, where, for example, some lizards will just shed their whole tail if threatened or caught by a predator. So the tail stays behind wiggling to distract or appease the predator. You know, here's a little snack or something to keep your attention. And then the lizard with the stump on its hindquarters runs off and gets away. But In all the cases we could think of uh, in the moment in the episode, uh, with the possible exception of crabs, autotomy is just kind of an automatic release of the sacrificed appendage. And we were wondering if there are any examples where the animal actually has to 
actively do some kind of cutting or biting or other work to sever its own body part, like in the legend of the beaver. The only example we could think of was uh, I remembered how I'd seen in some documentary footage that a crab with an injured claw would actively like reach over with the other claw and cut or pull the damaged claw off and discard it. Hmm. Now, finally, Jan says, love your show. You asked for examples of when animals might remove an appendage to escape a predator. I was thinking about animals that are caught in traps, removing a foot or other appendage to escape the trap. Not sure if this is the type of situation you were thinking about, but it is a case of knowing they need to escape and being willing to sacrifice the body part to save the overall animal's life. Just a thought, Jan. Uh, yeah, Jan, that is really interesting. It didn't occur to me at all in the episode, but you're right. That does happen. I could be wrong, but I don't think uh, zoologists or, or people who specialize in animal behavior would usually consider this autotomy, maybe because it is not like an anatomically facilitated behavior. Like uh, if a mammal chews its leg off to get out of a trap, there's no natural seam for the leg to sever along, and it won't necessarily heal easily, and it certainly won't grow back like a lot of the autotomized uh, appendages of maybe a lizard or, or a crustacean or something will. Uh, so, yeah, I, I wonder. I, something tells me to kind of think about that differently, that maybe that's just like a a desperate uh, behavior showing the more versatile uh, behavioral repertoire of, of mammals, that they can just come up with all kinds of solutions, even very desperate and grisly ones. Mm -hmm. Whether a beaver would ever do this, I have no idea. Now, speaking of bestiaries, uh, I do have to mention this briefly. Uh, listener Matt sent this to me uh, via Discord. Well, you know, we're a big fan of the, the, um, the illuminated manuscripts and the various strange illustrations. That was one of the talking points in, uh, in, in the Beaver episodes. Well, somebody out there in the, like, the wild world of fandom um, has created a Codex Pokemonus, a Pokemon illuminated manuscript. I, I don't think this is like a licensed Pokemon product or anything. I think it's like a fan creation that's, you know, mostly just for fun. Uh -huh. But uh, I included a link for it in our... Uh, our, our, uh, our slack here, Joe, for you to glance at here. Uh, I was, I don't know if I'm, I'm actually going to buy this thing, uh, because I, I don't know that anyone else in my family besides me would find it amusing, but, uh, <laughs> but I love these illustrations that create. It's apparently in Latin and you have these, uh, these suitably strange medieval illustrations of things like Pikachu and Mewtwo and so forth. Oh yeah, I see here. I think we have a big Bulbasaur. Is that right? It's a yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. Kind of a big green gopher with a plant on its back. Yeah, there's a nice uh, illustration of uh, the angels bestowing um, a, a human with a uh, with a Pikachu. All right, uh, but anyway, that, that's uh, it's just too amusing to not share. But uh, I want to come back to some more beaver listener mail here. Uh, this one is in response to um, the subject of beaver shout. Okay, so the, the background on this is there's a Swedish spirit called Beverhot. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, but it's made with castorium, uh, translated as beaver shout. Now, I'm not sure if it's something that is actually commercially available anywhere or if it's just regionally, traditionally prepared. I suspect the latter based on the sorts of images that, were, that come up for me when I start looking around for it. For instance, there'll be a picture of somebody clearly in the state of preparing beaver shout uh, with a bottle of vodka and some other bottle with uh, what's clearly supposed to be castor glands um, uh, in the bottom of a um, uh, like a jar of vodka or something. Mm. 
So we heard back from uh, Emil on this. Emil writes in and says, Hi, my name is Emil. I'm a Finnish expat residing in Norway. Thank you for your varying and often surprisingly interesting deep dives into topics concerning the natural world. I have greatly enjoyed your series on the humble beaver. Your mentioning of the dreaded beaver shout brought a compartmentalized core memory back to life. Eight or nine years ago, a friend of mine took a sabbatical year as a teacher in the northern Swedish municipality of Jokmok. In this area, beaver hunting is still practiced to some extent. An avid hunter and imbiber of strong spirits himself, my friend took it upon himself to concoct beaverhort by infusing a bottle of cheap vodka with the glands from a beaver he unfortunately killed while hunting there. He brought this bottle, with the glands still present, back home where we of course couldn't resist the dare to try some for ourselves during a night of drinks, barbecuing, and pretend machismo as meetings with childhood friends seem to always go. The sight of the glands in that very bottle is still etched into my retinas, resembling shriveled up testicles in an otherwise clear, slightly amber-colored liquid. The smell is difficult to describe, somewhat reminiscent of old leather and fir tree. The drink was served in a shot glass, and I was advised not to think too hard about my task, and I more or less went for it in one go. The first impression was that of any shot of cheap distilled liquor. A few seconds later, the taste hit me. Again, this is hard to describe. The closest analogy would be chewing on fir tree sap in worn leather and following this up with smelling a rug of rubbing alcohol, although much more pungent than either. The oily nature of the drink seemed to cover the whole esophagus, and the taste lingered for close to an hour, even though I tried to wash away the taste with every liquid available. After the taste eventually subsided and the smell still seemed to be present on my breath for the remainder of the night, bringing me close to gagging with every exhalation. In all my days of eating and drinking exotic food and drinks, nothing comes close to the pungent nature of this unholy concoction. I have since come to wonder if my friend, with his at best questionable knowledge of beaver anatomy, had harvested the anal glands by mistake, <laughs> although I choose to believe it really was the intended glands present in the bottle. So in other words, one out of five stars is a gastronomical experience, but certainly memorable. Once again, thank you for all that you do. Best regards, Emil. P.S. We've also grilled some beaver meat the same night. This was surprisingly mellow, reminiscent of rabbit, and really quite pleasant. Well, okay then. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess part of this too is the, I know there are recipes online for the preparation of beaver shout. Um, but I, I don't know. It's like it, maybe there's a fine art to, to getting it just right. Mm. And and also maybe this is just what it kind of what it's um, its reputation suggests. It is a rugged, <laughs> woodsy, uh, like kind of survivalist uh, spirit. And, you know, it's not for for uh, for us city folks to really uh, attempt. Uh, this is not for us. We are not meant to know of it. Maybe it is not meant to be pleasant, but meant to be painful because it is pain that forges the fastest friendships. <laughs> Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the, uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting. Uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. 
Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. All right. Well, setting aside uh, the the mighty beaver, should we dip into a little Weird House Cinema listener mail here? Yeah, sure. Uh, maybe I will do this message from Richard in response to our episode on the incredible shrinking man. <laughs> Richard says, I love your podcast and have been particularly impressed by both your intricate research and interesting discussions. On the episode about the movie The Incredible Shrinking Man, there was a discussion about how water tension is not a major factor for human life where uh, gravity overrides the forces on us. It is only when you consider the size of insects that water tension is a key concern. Yeah, this is uh, from that essay I've referred to numerous times on the show before uh, called On Being the Right Size by J.B.S. Haldane. The point is that uh, big animals have to worry about gravity because when you when you fall, it, it, it can be really rough when you hit the ground. But a tiny insect falling to the ground is usually not seriously harmed, even from a great height. But meanwhile, if you're a very small animal like an insect, water tension can really grab you. It can be dangerous. You know, you get wet and that's kind of like it's multiples of your own body weight clinging to you on the outside. But Richard goes on. 
However, humans do have to deal with the significance of water tension when gravity is countered in orbit during weightlessness. There are many popular videos of astronauts showing how they have to deal with water when it contacts a person and objects. Very importantly, there was the case of an astronaut during a spacewalk having a water leak in his helmet. He had to carefully and quickly move to the airlock before water capillary action drove the water around his head where it could have covered his eyes, mouth, and nose. Even within gravity, this could have been a major issue, of course. So, you don't have to wait for a sci-fi movie to show water tension's possible effect on people. It's happening every day in the sky above us. I suppose referring to, like, uh, in the space station. Thank you for reading my email and the great podcast, Richard. That is a good point, Richard. I'd, I'd mainly thought about, you know, when I think about water in the space station, I think of cute little videos where astronauts are, like, playing, you know, they've got a cup of water and then they just let it float out in front of them in a blob and then maybe gobble it up or something. It just sits there and kind of clings to itself. But yes, if you were, say, in a, a, an EVA suit and some water leaks out and gets stuck to the outside of your head, that can just really like kind of crawl around on your skin. You, you can't depend on it dripping downwards like it does when you're on Earth's surface. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, of course, we recently talked about 1993's Super Mario Brothers. Oof. So we heard from some folks on this. First up, this one comes to us from Rusty. Rusty says, thank you so much for the recent Weird House Cinema on the Super Mario Brothers movie. I have been delighted to see the cultural reexamination of it over the last couple of years, and it truly is a bizarre gem. It lingered in my memory from childhood, and I think helped shape my desire to seek out the strangest non-horror movies I can find. There really is an entire second episode's worth of context to be discussed with it, but the part that seemed worth mentioning for listeners interested in cinema history is actually about Yoshi. During pre-production for Jurassic Park, Spielberg was testing an advanced stop-motion technique called go-motion, even producing a test scene you can watch on YouTube. Uh, they included a, a link here for us. And yeah, this is basically the scene where the T-Rex attacks uh, the, uh, the vehicle in Jurassic Park, but it is a, a test footage with, with stop-motion animation that's more in line with what you would expect from like Ray Harryhausen and so forth. I think this was created by Phil Tippett. I believe so, yeah. Uh, but one thing I'm to understand is that go motion here, the technique being used, is different from stop motion in that it attempts to introduce motion blur to stop motion because we, we've talked about this before. That I love stop motion effects, but they do have a kind of unnatural quality to them. There is a crispness and clearness to the action because there's no blurring between the frames. Each frame is a sharply focused still photograph, and then you're just mm. showing a lot of those in quick succession, whereas when you film something that's actually in continuous motion, there's blurring. And apparently, uh, Go Motion had something to do with trying to recreate this effect for heightened realism. The, the footage here, I mean, I love it, but uh, I, I can see why they ended up not going with it. I think it, it Jurassic Park would have been a different experience had the dinosaur attacks been more in line with this. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, I think one time when we were talking about different kinds of special effects regimes and how, you know, the at least in my view, the main 
point of special effects is not necessarily to be realistic. It is to be enjoyable. And realism is only one of the ways that special effects can be enjoyable. So like stop motion effects don't usually look realistic, but I love them. They're beautiful uh, and they're, they're fun. But I think the example I used in that discussion uh, for a movie where realism is the goal and it's achieved to great effect was Jurassic Park. I mean, in the the T-Rex escape scene, I don't know how you could tell that's not a real T-Rex walking out of an enclosure. Uh, I mean, it looks absolutely real and I wouldn't change anything about it. So in that particular case, in this movie, I, for some reason, realism is what's called for. That's, that is the, uh, what's demanded of the special effects team. In other movies, you know, in a Sinbad movie, I don't want realistic looking skeletons. I want stop motion skeletons with their weird, you know, overly crisp movements. Yeah, I mean, that's the necromancy at work there, right? Uh, anyway, uh, Rusty continues. The production team spent time on the set of Super Mario Brothers to learn from the advanced Yoshi puppet that had beat out Henson Studios for the creature designs. Allegedly, the positive impression it left swayed the decision to use animatronics instead. I can't recommend enough that any fan of bad movies or general oddities check out the Super Mario Brothers movie 1993 uh, or the Morton Jankel cut, a two-hour version available for free on archive.org. <laughs> Thanks for the shows, Rusty. Uh, yeah, for anyone out there who watched the Super Mario Brothers 93 movie and was like, it was it was a lot of fun, but I just wish it were two hours long. Yeah, not long enough. <laughs> <laughs> Rusty, you don't say what is different. What is added in to the Morton Jankel cut? Yeah, it, I mean, I, I didn't research it to see, but I don't know. I'm, I'm of two minds on this. Like, yeah, sometimes longer cuts of films can definitely add much needed connective tissue, character development, and just basic like information you need to make sense of the plot. Um, on the other hand, like, Sometimes they're just real diminishing returns by by adding more to a film. So uh, I don't know. I'm I'm doubtful. I'm not in a big hurry to go check out this extended cut, but I don't know. Maybe it makes all the difference in the world. More Koopa character development. Oh, oh, hey, that reminds me. So we had a brief uh, discussion in the Super Mario Brothers episode where we were like, "What is going on with Dennis Hopper's hair? Why does he mm -hmm. have these these like elevated sort of?" Uh, dino fins of blonde hair they dyed his hair blonde and they put it up in these ridges i i couldn't understand that until uh, uh i was uh texting with a friend about uh he listened to our episode and then he was telling me about max headroom the original creation of the directors of super mario brothers and i went back and looked at some max headroom videos and i was like oh 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 King Koopa just has Max Headroom hair. Max Headroom has <laughs> ridges of blonde hair going from front to back, just like that. So that's obviously what they were doing. They were giving him Max Headroom hair. I don't know why, but that's what they did. Similar aesthetic uh, choices made in this character design. Yeah. All right. We have one more here for you um, concerning Mario Brothers. Uh, this one came to us on Discord. And if you want to join the Stuff to Blow Your Mind Discord channel, send us an email and we'll send you the link so that you can join up there. Uh, user YMZ says the following. Boy, that 1993 Super Mario episode brought me back. My childhood best friend had a pirated VHS that we watched every weekend for a few months. I remember thinking even back then that whoever made the movie was trying to replicate the gritty New York 
vibe of the live-action 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but with none of the charm. I have to disagree with Rob that Detective Pikachu was a good movie, though my kids loved it. That, the 2001 Final Fantasy movie, and 1993 Super Mario turned me off permanently to any video game movies. Oof, that's rough. I saw that that Final Fantasy movie in the theater. And, you know, you go back and look at that, it's got a great voice cast, but... uh... I don't know. I'm not I'm not in a hurry to watch that again. <laughs> now, I agree to disagree on Detective Pikachu, but this is a great point about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, uh, I remember I haven't seen it since I maybe maybe since I saw it in the theaters uh, back in 1990. But I remember it being a lot of fun. And it also had this nice vibe where it's like, yeah, they really made an effective live action adaptation of this cartoon world. Like the, the turtles look great. Henson creations, you know, the ninjas are cool. Shredder's terrifying, all that. It really worked. And I could I think this is a, a solid view on Super Mario Brothers as coming in the wake of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and thinking, well, if they can do that for the turtles, then surely we can do something similar for Mario and Luigi. Now, Rob, how long until on Weird House Cinema we do the two 1990s live-action Mortal Kombat movies, the original Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat Annihilation, two of the greatest Ooh. films of all time? <laughs> I've only seen the first one. I don't think I ever saw the second one, but um, I think we could we could have a feast out of either. They are also both quite weird. Yeah, and I mean, especially the. I mean, they, they both have very interesting casts. Yeah, yeah, both of them. Both of them have some some great cast work going on there. So, yeah, if, uh, let us know. If you want to hear us cover a Mortal Kombat film, um, uh, chime in. Contact us. Uh, make your vote count. There is really almost nothing that tickles my soul as much as uh, uh, Christoph Lambert as Raiden with his little attitude. <laughs> I don't think so. Inspired casting. Inspired casting. Yeah. Oh, hey, I have one more very important short message to uh, include before we sign off today. And this one comes from Hugh. Hugh says, hello, Robert and Joe. I hope all is well. I was wondering when JJ will become excellent. Is it hereditary? Is there an exam? Is it a point system? I'm dying to know. Best wishes, Hugh. Well, Hugh, thank you for pointing out a major, major oversight. This made me realize that I did indeed, I used to usually refer to our previous audio producer, Seth, as our excellent audio producer, which he was, but let it now and henceforth be known that our current audio producer, JJ, has been extremely, extremely excellent from day one, and I will make sure to mention that in our sign-off going forward. Huzzah. Thanks for everything, man. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to go ahead and uh, sign off here for this episode. But just a reminder, the Lister Mail uh, publishes every Monday in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. Core science episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Monster Factor Artifact on Wednesday. And on Fridays, we set aside most serious concerns to just talk about a weird film on Weird House Cinema. Huge thanks to our excellent audio producer, J.J. Posway. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.